hard-hitting medical truth, cutting through conflict and confusion to the understanding you're searching for. Join Dr. Peter McCullough, world-renowned medical expert and practicing physician for this edition of the McCullough Report. Your life may depend on it. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. We have a breaking excerpt from the January 12, 2024 Congressional Session on Vaccine Injuries, chaired by Republican Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene from Georgia, attended by Congressman from Ohio Warren Davidson, Congressman from Arizona Andy Biggs, and Wisconsin Senator Dr. Ron Johnson. The witnesses are yours truly, Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. Ryan Cole, clinical pathologist, and Dr. Kirk Milhone, pediatric cardiologist. Let's take you to the sessions of the U.S. Congressional hearings on COVID-19 vaccine injuries. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report. People have a lot of fear about, and that's cancer. And we are, uh, I think it was just reported in the Wall Street Journal uh, just a few days ago, talking about young people are now having high rates of cancer, um, higher rates than normal. Uh, and then we know that in March of 2023, Pfizer bought a company called Segan for $43 billion. Segan's a biotech company that discovers, develops, and commercializes transformative cancer medicines. Um, again, this is something that I, I can't say it's related or not related, but the timing is interesting. Um, I just want to ask the three of you, have the COVID vaccines resulted in an increase in cancers and are turbo cancers real? Is this something that that's made up in people's minds or is it? are you actually seeing it? I will take the heat for this one because I was the first pathologist in the world to bring up this point. After these shots rolled out, I started seeing an increase in the laboratory of certain types of cancer. You know, I, I at that point misstated the percentage and then it normalized, but it was still two to threefold above what I was seeing in certain types of cancer, endometrial cancers, uh, melanomas in young patients, very aggressive melanomas in young patients, confirmed by my colleague, uh, colleague Dr. Anglish de Gleish, one of the leading cancer researchers in the UK, confirmed by oncologists all around the world. There's a paper that came out from uh, Singapore from a pharm pharmaceutical uh, individual. Every cancer drug off patent Look at this, the, the dose sales percentage increase in Singapore, where you can get the base level data. All of them are up anywhere from 20 to 30%, and this is purchase per dose. And they were one of the high, most highly boosted nations in the world. If you look at Ed Dowd's data, if you go to finance technologies with a ph.com, he has the data set from the UK. Again, that healthy age 15 to 44 age group. 10 years of data, and then in 2021, huge spike. In 2022, even a bigger spike. The data don't lie. If you look at even the CDC wonder data, and the, again, getting the actual base level data out of our government is difficult. I want to you know, congratulate the Informed Consent Action Network and Judicial Watch and others that continue to FOIA our government for information. And I know Senator Johnson has done yeoman's work trying to get information out of these agencies. But even in CDC wonder data, if you look at every age decile, 15 to 25, 25 to 35, et cetera, there is a hockey stick inflection upward right now in all those data sets. Now, do I want to panic everyone? No. 
Do we know mechanisms why the shot would do that? Sure, the spike protein binds to the guardian of our genome, the P53 gene. The spike protein binds to the breast cancer and ovarian cancer BRCA gene. And the one thing we didn't bring up today that I know Dr. Malone brought up, every vial that's been examined of this mRNA product is contaminated with DNA from E. coli bacteria. These are all contaminated products. This isn't synthetic mRNA. This is mRNA plus contaminated DNA because they grew these in bacterial cultures of E. coli. Now, what other lengths of segments are going to show up in these vials and shots that could bind upstream or downstream of a cancer-regulating gene in any cell in your body? We don't know. Are there things we can do in the laboratory to look for that? Yeah, there are some tests that could be developed at the NIH care to do that. But the, the, the problem is, is this contamination could be leading to these problems. Are the turbo cancers real? Well, go try to get an appointment in an oncologist's office right now. You're three to four months out in most cancer offices to try to get in for an appointment. And do I mean to panic everyone? No. But did we not only, and, and then if you look at Pfizer and Comirnaty and, and Moderna, they clearly state, well, mRNA isn't expected to have any genotoxicity, so we're not going to do any mutation or cancer studies on these products because it's mRNA. No, it's not. Every single one from every laboratory around the world that's done this so far looking at these vials have had contaminating DNA. Integrated DNA is a much higher cancer risk than synthetic mRNA itself. So, I mean, I... I have a whole slide on all the mechanisms of injury that these can cause in terms of promoting cancer. Every country I've been to, and I was in three parliaments before the end of the year, or in, in Europe, Croatia, Romania, UK, I've been testifying all around the world, everywhere I go, oncologists, physicians, family members, they all know of someone that after that second or third shot, boom, skyrocketing. And there are some data sets, ask our government why they're hiding theirs, but there are some data sets where it's pretty clear, and especially in the German um, insurance data sets, you can see the 36% increase in cancer pediatrically after the rollout of the shots. <clears throat> if you look at the UK disability data sets from Ed Dowd, um, in 2020, there's about a 1% increase. By 21, about 6 7%. By 2022, there was a 35% increase in disability claims for cancer in the UK. Wow and about a 90-plus percent, 95 percent uh, shot uptake in the UK. So correlation is not causation. I understand that, but the signals are there. Thank you. Our CDC should immediately be ordered to match the vaccine administration data to our cancer registry data. 100 percent. Listen, these are publicly owned data. They're, they're, CDC is not a private agency. They can't hide Americans' data from it. This is a potential emerging national emergency. To summarize, our agencies and the data are clear that the vaccines cause cardiovascular side effects, neurologic, thrombotic, blood clots, and immunologic. There's safety warnings on that. that that's unambiguous. All worldwide agencies agree. The fifth area of concern that we've moved into is cancer. Is cancer. And I anticipate Dr. Fauci didn't cite a single paper. And all you've heard me today is pinpoint cite papers. 1984, Sutherland and Baylor published a critical paper. It's called the multi-hit hypothesis of cancer. Meaning, if something causes cancer, chances are 
it works by different mechanisms. If a drug, for instance, or an exposure, a, can a cancer, it, it works by multiple mechanisms. Now a paper's been published, fully peer-reviewed, Anguis and Bastillo are the two authors. It's called the multi-hit you know, hypothesis of COVID-19 vaccination. How does it work? The Chinese have published that messenger RNA itself does somewhat impair our ability to repair our own DNA if we actually have a breakage in our DNA. As Dr. Cole has pointed out, the spike protein produced in unlimited quantities in a paper from University of Pittsburgh by Singh and Singh shows that it impairs our cancer surveillance systems, P53, the other one's called BRCA, or BRCA, the governs female breast and reproductive cancers. The third mechanism is what Dr. Cole points out, is that all the labs that have actually examined the vials show these process-related DNA impurities. Now, when the genetic code for the messenger RNA is installed in an E. coli, which Pfizer and Moderna are using, by the way, the genetic code has to ramp up the production of a piece of circular DNA called a plasmid. <coughs> they use a complex called SV40, simian virus 40 complex. There's a promoter, an enhancer, and what's called an origin of insertion. These fragments make it crank up, and they actually have to produce an additional fragment called an antibiotic-resistant fragment because they're going to kill off the E. coli that don't have uh, the coats. So that's how it survives. So they harvest this. So far, all the labs have found either the quantity of these DNA fragments, including SV40, is too high or the length of the fragments are too high. This has become such a concern that Florida Surgeon General Joe Ladapo has said, listen, this is the final straw, mm -hmm. that you can't, the FDA <laughs> has not done its own inspection of the vials for this reason. The FDA in 2022, recently some documents came forward where there were some inspections of the vials, but it was only for visible impurities, kind of crud in the vials, not actually for these DNA contaminants. I told you the regulatory window of concern for a genetic product is five years. That happens to be the, the window of concern for a cancer. My hunch as a clinician is that if there's a cancer risk with these vaccines, it's cumulative. People, one or two doses, probably little risk. Four or five, six doses, 10 doses, more. That's kind of how cancer works. The first paper published of someone who took a vaccine and developed a fatal cancer where we think the vaccine caused it was published by Kara Gokles and colleagues from Greece. I know I'm a senior author. It's a man, a little younger than me, takes the cancer and it develops a lesion on, his, on the side of his head. And it's, a, it's considered what's called a basaloid cancer. It rapidly invades and causes Bell palsy, knocks out the facial nerve. Then it knocks out their trigeminal nerves and it invades the brain and kills them. And the conclusion is pathologically that this is the first reported case. I mentioned 3,400 papers on vaccine injuries, disabilities, and deaths in the peer-reviewed literature. Let me tell you what, that is a gross underestimate, and I'll tell you the reason why. To publish an academic manuscript, doctors are typically at universities. Mm -hmm. The vast majority of doctors at universities took the vaccines. The vast majority of universities worldwide mandated the vaccines. The publication policies at these universities require university approval of the manuscript before it goes out. Do you think that doctors at an oncology department at Harvard or, or uh, MD Anderson declaring that the vaccines cause cancer would ever get out the door when the doctors took the shots, the institutions mandated the vaccines? 
These manuscripts are dead on arrival. We have seen since COVID a record number of retractions of vaccines. So even if they make it in the peer-reviewed literature, and this has happened to me twice, valid papers that are published, contracted, copyrighted, and everything, the publishers and the editors pull these back after they're actually already published. There's guidelines for when a paper has to be retracted. They're called the COPE guidelines. They are vi they're, th These aren't within the COPE guidelines to pull back a paper. So we see bias, an intentional bias to understate the problem with the vaccines. And I think it's particularly um, important as we interpret the cancer data. B because the cancer data, we are largely re reliant on the big universities here. The independent doctors can't carry this. And if there's a cancer risk emerging, we're not going to see it, unfortunately, until it's way too late. And, and this is a real quick point I want to piggyback on. Every attorney, or attorney general in every state, their job is to protect consumer product safety. These are contaminated products. If a baby formula or a baby bottle of vegetables had glass shards in it or metal shavings in it or a chemical from agriculture, those would be pulled immediately. And yet we still have vials sitting on the shelves of pharmacies all around the nation and the world that are contaminated, not listed as one of the... And here's the problem. You know, the FDA allows for 10 nanograms of DNA and other products. These are wrapped in that little protective fat. They're like, oh, you know, 10 nanograms, whatever. These are protected. They can go everywhere just like the mRNA can. And so every attorney general in this nation, if they have one ounce of honesty, one iota of responsibility to their citizens, should impound whatever is on the shelf of a pharmacy, send it to independent laboratories, have it tested, and they should be removed from the market post-haste. Um, yes. People are pretty good when something changes in their life. They don't have to be a scientist. They don't have to go to medical school. Um, when you hear something happening more this year than it did last year, you understand something changed. What you bring up is people have noticed something changed because they know, I've never heard of so many people who were in complete remission and now they suddenly appear back at their doctor in stage four. Wait a minute, you've been in remission for 10 years and suddenly you're in stage four. This is a repeating story that all the non-clinicians hear. I'm a pediatric cardiologist. I don't do the cancers, but I'm hearing these things. And this is what I'll hear from the doctors. I can't believe how many of these cancers I'm seeing, but it couldn't be from the vaccine. <laughs> it's the only thing that's changed. So some of what we're fighting with in some of this is you hear us, we're asking for the data. <clears throat> we're not just trying to make things without claims. We have enough of a signal. We want the whole data set because these questions can be answered. They could be answered right now, but we have to have the data set. We're not afraid to look at the data. If we're wrong, we'll say, wow, we thought this, we were wrong. We're scientists. We really don't, we're just seeking truth. But what we need are the data. And that's what we're asking for. Mm -hmm. And that's what you got. I know you guys are fighting for this, but this is what we need because this answer, this question could be answered basically in a week. And we would know, but then there would be, once again, no excuse for taking this off the market.
Mm-hmm. I, I, you just got me going as a mom when you said pediatric cardiologist. Dr. Milhone, are you seeing myocarditis in children, babies? Like, is this something that's actually happening uh, with children receiving the COVID-19 vaccines? Yeah. So I'll tell you sort of the first case I saw, I was called down to the ER to see this kid because um, he had a slow heart rate and he was this incredibly muscular studly Texas player uh, or Texas football player. And I walk in there and often what happens when a pediatric cardiologist walks into the ER is everybody leaves the room. Um, Oh, good. Cardiology is here. They just all leave. Right. But I walk in and this kid's got a a heart rate of 25. I'm thinking I wouldn't have left the room. (laughs) Um, Story was second vaccine next day at sports. He's not feeling so good. They take him in. they, They hook him up. He's got a heart rate of 20. Um, He had really no risk from COVID at all. Most of these kids, most of these healthy kids, most of them never even knew they had COVID. When we were rolling this out, the CDC believed that 85% of children had already had COVID. We know natural immunity is very profound. uh, If preventing COVID, but also keeping the symptoms very low if you get a new variant. Um, um, but we see it. I will tell you some of the good news is, is um, even though the regulatory bodies have not told the parents, the parents know. And so the parents who are willing to go down this road are decreasing. The mandates have come off. So as that has happened, I've watched the acute cases of myocarditis drop off. Now what we're left with are those kids that, and it's hard to tell because it's hard for us to get the data. The data is out there. We'd love to be able to see it. Um, but the, the study that came out of Thailand that was really concerning to us is when they prospectively looked at this, which is what the drug company should do before they even release a product and they should continue to be surveilling what has happened, which they promised to do, which was required under EUA, but they did not. And if they did, they never would let that data out, but they showed that they had a 2%, 2%, two out of a hundred kids, these healthy kids had myocardial damage. When you look at those kids who've had myocardial damage and you look at them 90 days with a cardiac MRI, 50% of them don't return to normal. When your your EKG, your echocardiogram, your stress test, your troponins, everything is normal. Everything we would do in an office. A lot of times the only way we do this is a very expensive test called a cardiac MRI with late gadolinium enhancement. Insurance companies don't want to pay for it. People, cardiologists are afraid to order these tests because if they give it as a rationale, this might be a vaccine injury, that might get them in trouble. Yeah, just to pick up on this, so the Mansugian paper from Thailand and then another paper by Buren from Basel, Switzerland showed when they do the baseline blood tests and are ready to do EKGs, ultrasounds, and MRIs at baseline, and then follow up at least once or twice in follow-up. So that's a prospective court. That's what the FDA in the biological licensing letters to Pfizer Moderna said, you must do this to get fully FDA approved. Mm-hmm. Pfizer Moderna never did this. But when these independent studies were done, on shot number two, which was the Thailand study in children aged 13 to 18, the rate was exactly what Dr. Milhon said. It was 2.3%. In the Buren study, which was shot number three, largely in nurses and healthcare workers, the answer was 2.8%. So average those out, it's about 2.5% heart damage risk per shot. Now, only half of them feel it. The other half don't feel it. 
So what I'm telling you is in a large, you know, when you apply this to billions of people, the data as we sit here today is probably about 1.5% of people have suffered heart damage and they don't know it. I can tell you as a cardiologist, is as that, that normal? Like the media is going to say, oh, but this has always been the case. Myocarditis has been normal. No, myocarditis in a paper from Finland in 2018 published in circulation uh, by uh, Arolio and colleagues established this, that we're talking about in the United States, there are you know numbers of cases uh, per million. We are talking about a couple hundred cases in the United States per year: giant cell myocarditis, Coxsackie, adenovirus. I'm telling you, peer-reviewed literature. Now we have tens of thousands of cases. This is not uh, this is not like oh, and COVID itself does not cause myocarditis. This has been one of the biggest false narratives Thank that you. have exists. So let, let let me just be clear. 2.5% risk per shot. Half of them have no symptoms. That's now in the peer-reviewed medical literature. The concern is if there's a little bit of scarring that occurs, it can be the site of an abnormal heart rhythm that can suddenly land a, a young person in cardiac arrest on the playing field or at sleep. And a paper by Gianni and colleagues from Brazil hypothesized that it's the surge of adrenaline that occurs during sports or during the waking hours of sleep, 3 a.m., 6 a.m., that triggers these cardiac arrests. And that's exactly what we've seen. Paper by Gill and colleagues from uh, Connecticut. Two boys, age 16 and 17, take Pfizer. On days of three and four after the vaccine, the parents find them in dead, in bed. No chance for CPR. The parents are outraged. They call in the corner. They do an autopsy. They bring in University of Michigan, University of Minnesota. They conclude it's Pfizer vaccine myocarditis that's fatal. You know, one case of this, the FDA should have pulled this off the market. You can imagine parents now having their children die in bed. We've actually had a member of U.S. Congress where this has happened. Okay, this is very, very sad. People not coming to the realization and helping to warn others. This is what we know about COVID, the infection. In 2020, there was a giant search for COVID, SARS-CoV-2 infection and myocarditis. Why? Because Ralph Barrick published in 1990s that if we flooded a animal heart with enough human beta coronavirus, we could cause myocarditis. It was published in the journal that was edited in my office, the American Journal of Cardiology, of which I held a very senior position. So I'm very familiar with this. So because of this, the, uh, the uh, Israeli military, the U.S. military, the college sports teams. So the NCAA Big Ten had the most formal evaluation. They studied all the athletes who got COVID. And in 2020, 30% of the athletes got COVID. Okay. They did everything. Cardiac, troponin, blood tests, EKGs, echograms, MRIs. They came up with about 36 cases, putative cases of myocarditis, where something was a little off in tens of thousands of athletes. Mm -hmm. Not a single serious case, no hospitalizations, no deaths. So they weren't dropping dead before the vaccine okay, okay. at a high or a higher rate. Right, okay. So then Tuvali from Israel studies this and said, listen, before the vaccine, there's no higher rate of myocarditis compared to the background rate. Singer and colleagues tries to uh, characterize these cases, no hospitalizations and deaths. So we have three papers. What happens? Patients sick with COVID in the hospital, we routinely get cardiac troponin laboratories, as we did with urosepsis, pneumococcal sepsis, what have you. And sure enough, about 20 to 30% are ambiently positive 
in the critically sick ICU patients. None of these are adjudicated for myocarditis. None have MRIs. And so these sloppy papers come out and say, COVID causes high rates of myocarditis. The CDC takes off on this and says, oh, there's a much higher risk of myocarditis with COVID than the vaccine, so therefore we should take the vaccine and cause more myocarditis. And the FDA chairman says this. He's a cardiologist, Rob Califf. This is the type of uh, uh, absolutely ridiculous thinking that goes on right now. I can tell you as a cardiologist, I've looked at the literature, I've contributed to the literature, COVID-19 illness does not cause significant myocarditis. There are troponin elevations in the hospital and sick patients, which are not myocarditis. They're not adjudicated myocarditis. COVID-19 vaccine is the major cause of myocarditis we're seeing today. Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Cofix RX is Povidone Iodine Nasal Spray in a 1.25% solution and a spray bottle that actually actuates the povidone iodine into a gentle spray into the nose in order to kill nasal pharyngeal pathogens, the viruses that cause the common cold, paramyxoviruses, other coronaviruses, adenoviruses as an example. Common bacteria, including uh, pneumococcus, haemophilus, staphylococcus, uh, streptococcus, uh, those common organisms that cause sinusitis. Uh, importantly, the uh, product is used with a spray pump up each nostril. Don't hold your head back, just in a neutral position. And there it can be used uh, about three times a day in a 24-hour period when anybody gets sick in the house. And Cofix RX is not far away. So go to CofixRx.com and in the promotional code, uh, put in out loud for a discount. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Lifestyle changes are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support cholesterol and blood pressure with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 25% off. AmericaOutloud.news is beaten to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, troubled, misled, joyful, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Beautiful study out of the Nordic countries in JAMA Cardiology. 
um, Krasilek, and he, what, he, what he showed was, is they looked at all the cases. They had 23 million cases to look at in terms of people who've been vaccinated or not. And then they looked at all their risk of myocarditis. You know what they used as the control group? The unvaccinated, because they had the lowest amount of any myocarditis. As you increased doses of vaccine, you increase your risk of getting myocarditis. That that is that should settle this whole thing that I'm going to get the vaccine so I don't get myocarditis. The paper that the the one we have problems with is it's from the CDC data set that looked at those who had been diagnosed with vaccine myocarditis at 90 days, and they did all the studies, EKG, echocardiogram. All those by 90 days, you were usually down to normal. That's what I can do in my office very easily. But the one that Dr. McCall was bringing up is that 50% had abnormal cardiac MRIs. I cannot assess your child's risk for sports participation if they've had symptoms of myocarditis following the vaccine without a cardiac MRI. I just can't do it because all the other tests I would normally use to reassure myself, including stress tests, are shown to be normal. So that's this potential silent killer that's out there, but no one really wants to look into it because it's about, it's thousands of dollars to get a cardiac MRI. One important paper has to be cited here. There are cardiac arrests with normal cardiac MRIs now. This is very important. A paper published by Nakahara and colleagues, University yeah. of Texas at Houston, uh, Jagat Narula is one of the prominent authors, very prominent cardiologist in the United States. Hundreds of patients who took the vaccine versus hundreds of patients who didn't take the vaccine. They all get cardiac PET scanning, not MRI, PET scanning. This is very important. A PET scan looks at the metabolic activity of the heart. And they capture people early after the vaccine to six months after the vaccine. The findings were 100% of people who took the vaccine, the cardiac PET scans turned abnormal. That instead of the heart using free fatty acids as its energetic fuel, it shifted to a preference in using glucose. And this was a distinctly abnormal pattern. As a cardiologist, I use cardiac PET to see if there's a, a lack of blood flow to an area, what's called ischemia. And that typically shows the heart muscle changes and actually prefers glucose. That's called uh, a, 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 a PET abnormality, an ischemic abnormality. What I'm telling you is, People who take the vaccine to varying degrees, the hearts are not normal, and we can't completely characterize it. Now, importantly, in this Nakahara paper, those who had a sore arm had much more profound abnormalities in the heart. And there's a paper from uh, Germany by Schwab and colleagues pathologically that found arm inflammation and heart inflammation. Wow. So what I'm telling you is it's important to understand were there any initial side effects in the arm Two papers relate it, but as a cardiologist, I'm very worried. The next cardiac arrest that occurs right now in a previously healthy person, particularly an athlete who's been heavily screened for all the congenital abnormalities, it's my conclusion based on the data that it's due to the vaccine if they've taken a vaccine unless proven otherwise. Wow. Thank you for that. Congressman Davidson. Yeah, thank you all. I appreciate you uh, and your work. And, you know, I just pick up on, you know, some of the uh, comments, Dr. McCullough, I think you mentioned about the FDA and the problems with it. And I always think about uh, really one of, one of the, to me, great Americans, great president was uh, Dwight Eisenhower, 
his farewell address, he cautioned against two things. The one that is widely remembered as the military industrial complex, but the other one is the scientific technical elite. And perhaps no one illustrates that more than Fauci, the NIH, the CDC, and the FDA. And when you talk about the global nature of this, uh, I guess, phenomenon, uh, people were surprised by how quickly the mindset shifted and how globally it shifted. Um, and I go back to the kind of root of that, the, 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 the institutions that were built, particularly in the post-World War II era, were designed to be those kinds of institutions. And, uh, you know, everyone's familiar with FDA, um, but let me say what those letters represent, the Food and Drug Administration. Uh, you mentioned the desire to have uh, a universal delivery mechanism with a vaccine. Well, the one thing for sure is everybody eats something, um, and in particular, meat. Uh, so there's this fascination with some of these folks about uh, trying to create synthetic meat, all kinds of other things. But the things that people give to livestock have caused some concern. And I guess I wonder, as a delivery vehicle for good or bad, uh, you know, what is the Food and Drug Administration doing uh, that we should be paying attention to? I think this is where a ban on all mRNA technology needs to happen now, not only for humans, but for animals. This is a synthetic mRNA with the pseudo-uridination that Dr. McCall mentioned. It's hard to break down. Did the mRNA show up in breast milk in a JAMA pediatric study 48 hours later? You bet it did. Does the mRNA show up in every organ in the body? You bet it does. What about undercooked meat and a, and a very difficult to break down synthetic mRNA in the meat you may be eating? They've been doing this in pigs for several years now under kind of a pseudo under the radar um, program the FDA has, I guess, sidelighted. So for certain bacteria in pigs, um, it's already happening. And, you know, I, I don't know, China owns 80, 90 percent of the pork industry in the world. So you might want to ask them about that, not me. But, yeah, showing up in the food, again, there are no knowns, there are no unknowns, blah, blah, blah. You know the quote. You can't find what you don't look for, plain and simple. And so the easiest way and the hubris of much of science and the lack of humility in science is saying, ex-cathedral pronouncements, we declare this is safe and effective without doing the studies. So going to your question about future vaccination and, you know, getting through the food supply and whatnot. Sure, safe and effective if you never look. But if you start looking, and that's why they cut a bunch of us off that are trying to look and research, you have to look for it. Is it in the meat? Is it in the products? Are your regulatory agencies actually looking for what they should be looking for? Or are they just telling you through their, their hubris and lack of humility that because we say so, and you know, certain of these individuals make Mangala look like an amateur, I think we need to look before we push anything out on the market. If we value life, if we value the next generation, if we value our children, if we value freedom, then we need to do the proper science to make sure we're doing the proper things for the citizens of this great nation and the world. You know, we're not good creators. Uh, the best scientists, the, the, the be whatever we're trying to make, right? The best pharmaceutical, whatever. 
artificial hip, artificial heart, can't make an artificial kidney, you know, it's a big box that has to go on, right? We're not good at this. And as we try, we make an enormous amount of mistakes. And this is with great computer modeling, with theoretical, we're going to have the perfect uh, DNA sequence, we're going to have the perfect mRNA sequence. What I would remind us is that all these things that we're talking about, the answer is usually possibly unknown because we haven't evaluated it. But let's remember that in science, there are an enormous amount of unintended consequences. So we haven't even perceived, because we're tinkering in this way, changing the cells of animals that we eat, what are the unattended consequences of our manipulation of what we previously didn't manipulate? This conversation reminds me of the movie a lot of people just watched, Oppenheimer, about the, the angst that Oppenheimer had about he knew what a dangerous technology nuclear weaponry would be. What you're hearing from us today is we acknowledge this brand new era of genetic technology, how potentially dangerous it is. And we've uncovered a, 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 a critical flaw in our government oversight over this. The FDA has insufficient oversight. The FDA reports to HHS. Okay, there is from the House side you have the House Science and Technology Committee and its subcommittee. You've got House Government Operations, House Agriculture, House Appropriations, House Committee on Energy Commerce, loose connections through their subcommittees to the FDA. HHS is you've got a Secretary of HHS cabinet. We have almost no control over the FDA. The same is true for the USDA. Now, if you go on the USDA website, you'll see genetic project after genetic project. And as Dr. Cole pointed out, DNA and RNA vaccines have been in pork now since 2017, self-replicating RNA and DNA vaccines. Now, the animals don't live long enough, potentially, for us to see these complications, blood clots, myocarditis, uh, et cetera. We can only hope and pray that during the cooking and curing process that the genetic material is destroyed. But beef and fish uh, and in vegetables now, there's a whole array of cooking techniques, and we can't possibly understand if this is going to actually get in humans. Now, a small, a small Chinese company published in December of 2022, Zhang is the first author, that they were able to make a small piece of messenger RNA, actually that's related to the uh, SARS-CoV-2 virus, and get it in a milk bubble and administer milk to animals uh, and get the, the messenger RNA across the mammalian GI tract. And there's been several uh, examples where they're able to get genetic material through watermelon juice and other types of things uh, into the human system. So we need an immediate, an immediate food safety supply task force here to assess the USDA is letting us down. Again, these companies are running the table on this. Uh, you know, they, they had, there, there are naturopathic veterinarians that, that tell me that with modern farming techniques and the cleanliness, we don't need any vaccines. Now, they've been tr using traditional for bovine. They have uh, uh, their standard pack, what's called a clostridial pack and a reproductive pack. So they've got these series of, of vaccines they give the cattle. 
but but you know I can tell you right now we need experts on Capitol Hill to raise the issue about safety in our our, our food supply. Many in the room here, Dr. Stillwagon, I'd like to re uh, recognize, has uh, put in important scholarship on this. Personally, I'm concerned. I, I think it's almost like Oppenheimer. We are recognizing the dangers of genetic technology around us right now. The food supply could be next. Thank you all for that. And, you know, you kind of anticipate my next question. One of the problems with a lot of these things is the structure of Congress. And it, I think people are mind blown to know that there's not a dedicated health care committee in Congress. I mean, there's a select committee on COVID. But all of the jurisdiction is broken up amongst multiple committees. And you could say, well, they'll eventually cover it. And isn't that great? Uh, I don't think so. And one of the biggest problems is all of the committees of jurisdiction have a subcommittee focused on oversight. And when you look at oversight uh, on healthcare in America, the Energy and Commerce Committee, which deals with all kinds of things, uh, is competing for time on this. And frankly, uh, the Hospital Association, the Pharmaceutical Association, uh, you know, the health insurance uh, lobbyists all spend a fortune making sure that we don't create a dedicated health care committee. It's 25% of the GDP. I mean, it's a huge part of the economy. It is one of the most broken parts of the economy for every household that I know. And while we do as parties have differences of views on what the solutions are, I think we share some frustration about the problems. And I just ask you guys with the careers in healthcare. Uh, do you think we could actually do more good for solving some of these problems if we had a structural change in Congress where there was a dedicated health care committee? I, I think that's a two-edged sword because it depends on who sits on that committee. Uh, <laughs> I like to joke that no one of us, no one of us is as dumb as all of us. <laughs> and so um, I, I think it's a great idea because you do have to have structure and organization to keep things uh, flowing forward. But it, again, it depends on how you uh, man and woman that committee and uh, appropriately um, have a vision for what health care should be, health and wellness. And uh, you know, we live in an era of wealth and wellness instead of health and wellness. And I think we need to flip the tables on that. Just one quick comment. Another agency that's causing great concern now is the Federal Trade Commission. Early on in the pandemic, the Federal Trade Commission launched an all-out attack on companies that offered natural products, various natural products to have them try to develop their products to uh, help people through the pandemic, uh, particularly the, the virucidal nasal sprays and washes or virostatic washes. It turns out there have been, uh, you know, 17 prospective randomized clinical trials showing a simple nasal sprays and gargles reduce the risk of COVID-19, reduce the intensity and severity of COVID-19, reduce the risk of hospitalization and death. You know, Congresswoman Nancy Mace, when she found out about this in 2021, she went nuts. There was a news piece saying, listen, why is our government not telling us about simple nasal sprays and gargles? Well, in our audience today is uh, uh, Nate uh, Jones, who's the CEO of one of these companies. He's been tied up in court with the FTC and the FDA, not allowing his company to do research and develop products to help people through this. Now there is a move, not just in the United States, but worldwide to restrict natural products from commercial use. This is occurring all over. Another manifestation of this biopharmaceutical complex. You know, they want all the money spent on high dollar pharmaceuticals, not natural solutions that people can do it themselves. Uh, uh, you know, we have the FTC now 
as another agency. I'd say the USDA, the FDA, and the FTC. Remember, HHS is administering the programs, right? CMS, Medicare, what have you. Uh, they're basically, this is a very authoritarian structure. There's no committees to say, listen, does this make sense? Is this reasonable? And now we have these agencies that have been captured by this, these biopharmaceutical companies. They're running the table. Thank you. All right. Thank you all. I really appreciate my yield back. Oh, thank you. Um, Dr. Cole, you have some slides uh, uh, that we'd down. like to look at. And if you could present those, and, and, and I would enjoy, of course, and I'm sure everyone would, conversation on these. And I am, I'm going to fly through them real fast because I know time is limited. So this is a picture is worth a thousand words. So uh, whoever's got the computer over there and I say next, uh, have your hot finger ready. Okay, here we go. Uh, next, uh, Noah Conflicts next. Uh, obviously, it's dangerous to be right in matters about which the established authorities are wrong. Next, um, all scientists agree when you censor the ones who don't. Next, uh, okay, uh, I'm going to get right to the pathology. So skip, 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 skip. There's the Cleveland Clinic study. More injections equals more infections, plain and simple. Next, 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 next. Next, maybe I should come over there. Okay, the cells don't lie. That's what I'm going to show you. Here are the cells. Okay, that's a needle going into the arm. That's a blood vessel next to that needle. Next, this is from the late great Dr. Burkhart. That's a ruptured vessel. Now those lipid nanoparticles can go everywhere. Next, that spike protein in the muscles of the arm being expressed, all those little brown dots. Wait, can you describe a little bit more? Yeah, so for, we, I'm not a doctor. Yeah, so we make a special uh, antibody in the lab that will bind to the spike protein, and then we put a little tail on it that makes it glow, and then anywhere it binds to, it glows, and in this case, we use a little dye that makes it show brown, so we know every one of those cells is expressing spike protein. So it was injected, the gene turned on, made spike protein attached to the surface of those cells. So that part was doing what it was supposed to do. <clears throat> However, we will see as we go on here. Um, next. Next, the lipid nanoparticles we talked about, their harms next. Um, this is the lipid nanoparticles accumulating. This is a Japanese study accumulating in the blood plasma, the whole blood, bone marrow. And see where that curve is going up? That's the lipid nanoparticles accumulating the ovaries. Notice they cut that study off after two days. It was still accumulating. It was still going up. You'd never stop a study when it's still going up. Same in the bone marrow there. Next. <clears throat> These are all the chemicals that are in the lipid nanoparticles, not for human or veterinary use, went into billions of people. Next. This is the study that Dr. McCullough mentioned. This is the Rolkin study out of Stanford showing that the uh, synthetic mRNA was still persistent 60 days later and still making spike protein. Next. Wait, wait. Go back. Can you go back? So how are we seeing it still okay. there? Can you describe yeah, that? Yeah, so on the left, um, um, you can see the, the pinkish color in each of those slides magnified 400 times. And you can see day 7, 16, 37, 42, and 60. Now, this wasn't every patient in the study that was still making it, but a si significant percentage of patients were still making, um, well, still had the persistent synthetic RNA 60 days later. And on the right, you can see the little brown dots. Um, and that's, that's the spike. That's the spike protein. being made 60 days later in these patients after these synthetic injections. Okay, next, this is a study from Dr. Brogna that Dr. McCullough mentioned where we know that the vaccinal spike is circulating six months later in 50% of patients. Next, 
next, next, next. Okay, so that spike protein lining a small blood vessel in the body, every brown dot. This is after injection. Like I said, it goes through circulation first. That, you know, that initiates these clotting processes. Next. So how, how is that directly after a vaccine? That's or? within a few days after. Well, this patient was an autopsy series patient from Dr. Burkhart, and this patient died a couple months later and still was express, expressing spike protein in these tissues months after their last injection. One of the patients up to 123 days after death was still making spike protein in multiple organs in the body. Next, and here you can see a normal blood vessel on the left. Here you can see the immune system just collapsing and attacking that vessel on the right. In the Wait, vaccine. no, I can't see anything but dots, so help all right, me. <laughs> okay. All the red are red blood cells. All, okay. all the blue are your white blood cells, your lymphocytes, your neutrophils, your eosinophils, et cetera, et cetera. So, okay, so that's the tube. Okay, thank you. What was the tube? And it's all filled with inflammation and destroyed. All the purple dots are inflammatory cells. Yeah, all the purple there. dots are inflammation there, the, and, and, the nucleus of cells. And and what is what kind of symptoms is this this person well, that, having? That, that one. That, uh, I mean, that looks like a mess. Yeah, that one's So what death. do you feel? Like? <laughs> yeah, death, unfortunately, in that patient. That patient died. Most of the people in the Burkhardt's, they died of myocarditis, thrombotic complications, just these medical disasters few days, weeks, or a few months after the shot. After being vaccinated. Yeah. So when it causes a vasculitis, that means that we're, all your blood vessels are inflamed. So it's not just in the arm. When people feel this horrible sensation, like they say they feel like they're going to die after being vaccinated, I've never felt so horrible hmm. in all my life. That is a sense that they have a whole body inflammation. And um, because it goes wherever the blood vessels are and it affects the blood the, the the interior cells called endothelial cells of the blood vessels it goes everywhere and this is the problem of injecting a gene with no off switch and in some people you know they may have gotten that almost placebo like batch and other people got a lot of the gene and dna contamination and whatnot there is no regulatory mechanism. We don't know who's make, who's a spike factory and who's not. Who's making a lot of these atypical foreign proteins, who's not. This is why it didn't happen to everybody, thankfully. Mm -hmm. But there's still so many millions of people around the world that have been harmed. And these are just some of the mechanisms. Now, now there's three dozen autopsy studies. People have taken the shot. The doctors think the shot caused the death. Autopsies were ordered. The autopsies were performed. The results were collated. Uh, we did a, performed a systematic review uh, and reviewed 600 papers where we thought there were autopsies, got down to these three dozen papers, took all the individual data, dissected it all out, and had independent doctors review them. The answer is 74% of the time we think what we're seeing here actually is the cause of death. Now, it's possible someone took the shot and they died of something else. And in the, the in 26% of the cases, it was something else. You know, a nursing home patient took the shot, but they aspirated and died. And we looked at everything and said they died of the aspiration, even though there was, but there are other ones, it was so clear, it was a blood clot, it was heart damage, uh, an aortic dissection, a, a, a thrombotic or ischemic stroke. Hmm. So as we sit here today, the next person who dies, where there's no antecedent illness, it's just, they just died. If the vaccine is in their background, we would conclude that on a more probable than not basis, they've died of the vaccine.
Talk about how reluctant the medical establishment has been to do autopsy. Very. And that was Fauci early on. Uh, you know, through kind of dictates to the agency, oh, don't do autopsies. And was, everybody was afraid early on. Everybody yeah. was afraid, oh, gosh, you know, I'm going to, everybody treated COVID like it was Ebola. It wasn't. And so, you know, pathologists, you know, had the fear put into them as well. And so it was any unexpected death in a young health, previously healthy patient, coroners, medical examiners always do an autopsy in an unexplained sudden death. And we didn't do it. And we didn't. But they're obliged to. Now, during COVID, I was at a major medical center, and I, you know, was every week in the pathology lab. We actually suspended autopsies because of the fear of contracting COVID from the autopsy. And as the Italians at first published the very valuable studies where they finally had the courage to do an autopsy. And they found people who died of COVID, they actually died of blood clots in the lungs, these micro blood clots. That was the very, very important finding. Now these deaths are coming in after the vaccine. Now, prior to the pandemic, pull a typical obituary or pull a typical press release on a death of a prominent person. It'll say they died of a long battle with cancer or they died in complications after heart surgery. That's before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Early on in the vaccine program, there were deaths that occurred. There was a CNN correspondent, legal correspondent who died. It said she took the vaccines and she died of an allergic reaction to the vaccine. That was in 2021. <laughs> then there was a change. And now all the reports are someone died. It's a mystery. Uh, there's no explanation of the death. The cause of death is not known. Let me tell you, before the pandemic, the cause of death was always known. In the United States of adults, 40% die of known heart disease a known heart attack, a known long history of heart failure, 40% die of known cancer. It's known. They have cancer, long history of cancer, and 20% other known causes, drug overdose, suicide, car accident, mm -hmm. trauma. It's known. Mm -hmm. People just don't die for unknown reasons. Since the mass vaccination campaign has come on, we are inundated with report after report after report of just deaths with no cause, our data suggests that, in fact, the vaccine is the cause of death. And I can show that real quick. Okay. Uh, just a picture's worth a thousand words. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fly. Uh, this, is, uh, this is that atypical amyloid protein in a heart blood vessel, that little blob in the middle. Yeah, the body doesn't break that down. Cardiac death, yes. Next. Large vessel destruction, next. This is the aorta, the biggest vessel in your body coming off your heart. On the right, that's the gross picture of the aorta, that big brown line in the middle. That's where the, the wall of it has been blown apart. And that's because all these, all these fibers up at the purple on the left are being pushed apart by inflammation. If we go to the next picture, please, every brown dot in the wall of this aorta that's cells that have spike protein in them. And then that's a foreign protein being made by these cells. And then the immune cells, your killer T cells come in and your macrophages, they start destroying the tissue. And then that aorta blows apart and you die instantly. So, so if this person had not been vaccinated, we would see none of these spike protein cells, you would correct? Not. You would. So obvious. 
Yeah. Being so ignored. It's blatantly obvious to the most casual observer. So, and you don't have to be a pathologist to look at this and go, gosh, one of these things is not like the other. One of these things doesn't belong. You know, this is Sesame Street. This so brown dots that a, are deaf. In a basic situation, we know this is a horrible protein. We know this virus is not that serious. And we're asking our body, our public health strategy right now is asking our body to make a toxic chemical, a cardiac toxin that goes all throughout our body. Mm -hmm. that's, our, that's our strategy right now. And we're going, guys, it, it's not working. But, but again, we were told. Oh, it's working. There's, no, it's we were told it's going to stay right there. Right. Even though they knew through studies, it was going to buy distribute all over the place. They knew the lipid nanoparticle goes everywhere. They knew. So that's, that's part of the problem here. Yeah. Is we had federal health officials lie bold face to the American public. Correct. And they still are. They are. It's still on their web pages, you know, recommending boosters. And, and they're preventing us at every opportunity to try to get this information out. They're not letting uh, uh, publications be printed. Uh, we're being silenced at every step. We're being ridiculed. We have ad hominem attacks. Well, you, you have pharmaceutical companies sponsoring all the uh, legacy media, big t TV shows. You know, there are two nations in the world that allow pharma to advertise on TV, New Zealand and the U.S. The rest of the world doesn't allow it. The BBC announced on December 10th, 2020, the Trusted News Initiative. And it said on December 10th, and this is before the vaccines are released to the public. They said, we are going to have a very carefully coordinated news content mediation program across all major media in order to stamp out dangerous vaccine misinformation. How did they know the vaccines weren't released yet? How did they know there was going to be dangerous vaccine misinformation? Senator mentioned event 201. They knew it back then? Where they knew then, they have to damp. So there was a presumption that the vaccines were going to be safe and effective and that the bad guy there was vaccine hesitancy. So they were going to stamp out any vaccine hesitancy. Well, you look at the slide, you become very hesitant to take one of these shots. I don't want this stuff in my aorta and have my aorta rip and have a, a catastrophe. So there is a coordinated program to suppress any information on safety. Recently, uh, a paper that's um, uh, been reviewed, it's on my Substack, uh, analyzed YouTube. And they analyzed YouTube's use of hashtags. And YouTube had a coordinator, any hashtag that would say vaccine side effect, they were suppressing that. Yeah. Uh, and it also was done on Twitter. This analysis, I believe, was in Twitter at the time. So people worldwide were blindsided by the safety information. It didn't have a chance to get out to them. They didn't have a chance to learn this fairly. And it wasn't, and to this day, is not being presented to them. There are TV commercials that's put forward by Pfizer, Moderna, HHS, and the CDC, all saying, take a vaccine, without giving the, the standard disclaimers that could cause a fatal side effect. Every other drug has to dis have a disclaimer. That should be a red flag.